What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Table Talk. This is a podcast of the Florida United Methodist Church Beloved Community. Today, we will be interviewing Rabbi David Kay. Rabbi David Kay is ordained in the Jewish Theological Seminary of America and has served in the Orlando area since 2004, and he is the chair of the Interfaith Council of Central Florida. He's a native of Chicago, and he earned his Bachelor's of Science in Ecology, Ethology, and Evolution from the University of Illinois. And today, what I wanted to do was offer a listening session to the Florida United Methodist Church and to others so that we can be better equipped when we're discussing this very complicated situation that is Israel and Palestine. So I invite you to just sit back, listen, and take time to process this information so that we can be better informed leaders for our church. So without further ado, here's the Rabbi David. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, um, to be able to speak to the leaders of the Florida United Methodist Church and to anyone else um, who's uh, who's listening in here uh, at any point in time. To talk about the uh, Israel-Palestine issue is uh, incredibly fraught to begin with. You know, we're, we're living in a time where we're deeply polarized. And uh, I, I would advise people, by the way, um, to consider uh, who benefits from us being polarized. Uh, certainly not us, we the people, and certainly not uh, um, Palestinians, and certainly not Israelis, uh, would benefit from from us being deeply polarized on that issue. Um, I would also point out that this is not a new problem. It's one that goes back generations, perhaps we could even say goes back thousands of years. Uh, If you are going to accept the text of the Hebrew Bible as uh, historically accurate, uh, or even uh, an indication of what happened in in antiquity. This is a, a, a family argument. So there there are first cousins who are uh, in strife with each other. Actually, brothers who are in strife with each other. If we go back to Esau and Jacob, uh, and that has been the history of the region for the intervening millennia. Um, the, the the serious conflict came into being well over 100 years ago. Uh, And uh, that had more to do with who was running the show in that region of the world uh, than it did about the people who were actually there. The populations were comparatively small. Um, There's always been uh, a a Jewish population of some kind in what is now the state of Israel, going back to uh, at least documented back to the time of, of when King David would have been there. And uh, there's also been people who are from other descendants who have lived in the area uh, since that time. Uh, for most of that time, there was occasional conflict, but the, the folks shared that region uh, with a fair amount of, of civility between each other. Um, uh, and again, some of that had to do with the size of the population. Some of that had to do with um, uh, how the population was distributed. Uh, in modern times, and by modern times, I'm saying the modern era, so starting uh, with the Industrial Revolution, uh, there was a, a shift. And um, uh, a lot of times what's pointed to is uh, is European colonialism. Um, so I'm going to pause here for a moment and define what colonialism is and what colonialism is not. Uh, so if you're a colonial power back in those days, and this is going back to the, the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th century as well, 
uh, the, the, the heyday of European colonialism, um, you were a sovereign state and you were sending your people out to areas of the world where you didn't have any sovereignty. In fact, you probably knew very little about them uh, to establish colonies uh, and claim that land as part of the uh, as part of the sovereign state. Um, so when uh, when British colonialists came to North America, um, they were claiming areas of North America as part of uh, the British Empire. Um, that's the part that's probably the story that that Americans know best. Uh, so colonialism is starting from a center point and branching out to places where you didn't used to live. Okay. Uh, the other word that gets thrown around is Zionism. And Zionism as a political movement arises in the late 19th century. Uh, that is, in a way, the exact opposite of what colonialism is. The, the Zionist idea was that Jews were a scattered and disempowered people. They had no sovereignty. They had no self-determination. Um, and what would be safest for Jews in the world who could be uprooted at any time, who could be oppressed at any time, who could be, in many cases, uh, wantonly uh, abused and murdered, uh, was to gather them together in a single spot where they could have self-determination and sovereignty. Um, so colonialism, sovereign nation, goes out, claims other parts of the world as part of their sovereign nation. Uh, Zionism, disenfranchised people brought together in one place and uh, establishing self-determination and sovereignty there. So kind of the opposite, the, the opposite process. Um, the other thing to know about the Zionist idea was that it wasn't invented in the 19th century, um, uh, that the ingathering of exiles, that idea that is the, the core of Zionism, the ingathering of exiles is something which is part of Jewish theology and part of the daily uh, Jewish liturgy going back on, on to the early centuries of the common era. Um, so easily 15, 1600 years before the founding of the modern Zionist movement in the 19th century, Jews were praying three times a day traditionally for the return and the ingathering of exiles, a return to, to homeland. Um, so it's an aspiration which has been part of Jewish history uh, since there's been Jewish history, pretty much, um, or uh, since the, uh, um, uh, the the major expulsion uh, of Jews from uh, uh, from the the area which is now the state of Israel in uh, uh, roughly the second century of the Common Era. Um, so that brings me to my next point, which is uh, when we discuss. Israel and Palestine, we often fall back on historical arguments. Um, and ultimately, those end up not being helpful, because a historical argument is only helpful uh, for whoever decides when they want to start counting history. Um, and so many times we will hear uh, about the occupation of uh, uh, the West Bank and, and Gaza, um, which happened at the end of the 1967 war um, uh, in Israel, and um, that that was indeed the beginning of a problem because Israel found itself in possession of territory that it was not in possession of before. Um, 
and we'll also hear people talk about the, the Geneva Conventions and the International Committee of the Red Cross and international law and um, and how uh, Israel has uh, an obligation to return those captured territories. Um, that is true under the Geneva Conventions. And Israel did return the Sinai uh, to Egypt because it was part of Egypt's sovereign territory before the 1967 war. Important sidebar, Israel also tried to return Gaza um, to Egypt after uh, when they returned the Sinai and Egypt declined to accept it because uh, they said it was not part of their sovereign territory, that they had uh, a military government uh, that was in Gaza and uh, um, it was still Israel's responsibility. So Israel did try and give Gaza back uh, to Egypt and Egypt declined. Um, the problem with the West Bank is there was no sovereign state that was recognized as having sovereignty over that region. Jordan claimed it, uh, but other members of the uh, what was then the Arab League uh, did not recognize Jordan's claim. Um, so there wasn't anybody to give it back to. The Geneva Conventions say you have to return it to the sovereign nation that um, that had it before the armed conflict, and there wasn't one. Um, so that was part of the plan of creating a Palestinian state was if we create a Palestinian state, there would now be a sovereign nation uh, established and Israel could hand uh, Gaza and the West Bank uh, to that sovereign nation. Um, that's the two-state solution. Uh, that, that hasn't really made it very far. Uh, we got close a couple of times, but um, uh, that has uh, just not happened. Um, so starting in 1967 is already, if we're counting history from there, it's already problematic. Um, because yes, Israel has uh, is occupying territories, but um, one they tried to give back and and the sovereign nation wouldn't take it, and the other one doesn't have a sovereign nation to give it back to. Uh, that doesn't mean there's not a solution. That means that the 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 standard solution you would do at the end of an armed conflict isn't possible here. All right. Some people say we can go back to 1948. Uh, and the establishment of the state of Israel, and that was established by the United Nations. It was uh, it was imposed on the region. Um, yes, it was established by the United Nations. Um, it was the decolonization uh, by the British. The British were had the United Nations mandate in the region. The French had uh, certain parts of the Middle East as well. Um, uh, they they picked up those territories with the collapse of the uh, of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and so, yes, it's true that uh, the, the borders of the state of Israel were drawn by an international body, uh, but that's also true for most all of the nations in the Middle East that used to be part of the Ottoman Empire or were under the colonial rule of England or France or another colonial, uh, another colonial power. Um, so all of our borders are drawn by human beings. They're, they're not, uh, they, they were not divinely established um, in, in the last several hundred years. Um, so that's problematic as well. Um, and we can keep going back from there. Uh, so by and large, the, the, the historical argument doesn't move us forward. By, by definition, history is what happened already and we can't change it. Um, so if we're going to talk about resolution of the of the issues in 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 Israel and Palestine the historical analysis is important in understanding how we got to where we are but is not really helpful in moving us forward towards a resolution um 
the other thing that 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 is unhelpful in in my view um, is speaking of the current situation um, or even the recent past. And by recent, I mean you know the last uh, century or so. Uh, in terms of other things that have happened in other places of the world. Um, so using words like apartheid or holocaust um, are, are, in my view, not helpful uh, because apartheid was something that happened in South Africa in, in a very particular set of circumstances and, and had a particular meaning there. Um, uh, in, you know, it, it was set up by the South African government, the white South African government, the minority white South African government, um, to supposedly bring the black population up to speed um, culturally and technologically, uh, it was used instead uh, as as a way of keeping them uh, of keeping them isolated, and it was a, a very abusive and 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 very brutal regime. Um, uh, black South Africans had very little in the way of of rights or protection. Um, we can draw some parallels, but to call it apartheid. Um, is misleading in one way. Um, and it's also, in, in my view, is also somewhat uh, disrespectful to those who did actually experience apartheid. Um, likewise, with saying Holocaust. Um, Holocaust, the, the Holocaust with a capital H, is uh, an historical event that's associated with a particular place and time and, and particular groups that were, that were targeted for extinction. Um, uh, so, and again, those are historical events, and we can learn things from those historical events, and we should, but if we start naming something that's happening now according to those historical events, we're not moving towards resolution. Um, and, and that's really the, 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 the main focus that I have. And, you know, uh, calling people Nazis or, or, you know, making other historical comparisons, uh, rhetorically is very effective it it stirs people's emotions um but does it actually bring the parties closer to reconciliation and and peace and justice i i don't think it does um so i i think that kind of language is unhelpful as well um so what is helpful uh i would say if we're going to talk about this volatile situation um there are two things that have to happen the first thing um, uh, is something that uh, I learned from reading a, a book by uh, Yossi Klein Halevi, which is called Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor. Um, and in this book, Yossi imagines that he is sending a letter to uh, someone on the other side of the border in the West Bank in an Arab village. Uh, um, uh, and he's explaining his own narrative um, and uh, acknowledging that other person's narrative. Uh, and uh, Yossi actually had this, these 10 letters translated into Arabic and placed on the internet so that anybody could get it. Um, and he got a response from uh, uh, an academic um, who is actually in the U.S. now uh, named Walid Issa. Um, and he answered the letters and they actually toured the United States on a, on a book tour uh, and, and had this conversation. The gist of the book is, uh, and the gist of that tour was, we have to listen to each other's narratives and we have to understand that my narrative is my identity. Uh, and if, if you're going to tell me that part of your narrative is wrong and you have to abandon it, uh, you have to change it, or you have to bring it in line with my narrative, you're asking me to surrender a piece of my identity. And that's 
very, very unlikely to happen. So what do we do instead? We listen to each other's narratives and we say to each other, I understand and I accept that your narrative is valid for you, even though there are things that I disagree with um, or, or we are complete opposites on. So I need to listen to the Palestinian narrative to understand where it's coming from and where those folks are coming from. Likewise, Palestinians need to listen to the Israeli narrative um, or to the, the, the broader Jewish national narr narrative and understand that where that's coming from. And we both need to be able to say, you know what, I understand why you call it Nakba. Um, uh, uh, do you understand why I call it Israel Independence Day? Um, and can we both accept that, that those conflicting narratives are valid for each other? Um, if we can, we've got a place to start because we've humanized the other. It's not just, you're not just somebody who is my enemy. You are somebody who has your own narrative and your own identity. Um, and you feel as strongly and passionately and as protective about your narrative and your, uh, your identity as I do about mine. Now we've got a place to start. Um, the other element that I think the vast numbers of people can agree on um, deep in their heart of hearts um, is that we'd like to just live our lives. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had a chance, uh, uh, this was a few years back. Um, I was on a, uh, I was on a, 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 a special program. We did a tour, um, across the political spectrum in Israel. And we actually went to Ramallah, um, uh, to the, uh, the, the Palestinian authority headquarters and spoke with, uh, Saeed Barakat, um, uh, who was one of the, uh, one of the leaders of the Palestinian Authority has since passed away. Um, uh, but it was a remarkable moment for a group of, uh, we were 20 rabbis of different denominations and backgrounds, um, sitting around a table uh, in the West Bank, in the capital of the West Bank, uh, in the headquarters of the Palestinian authorities, speaking with this, uh, this person who had been a spokesperson and negotiator and, and leader of the Palestinian Authority for decades. Uh, and uh, it was really a, a, a wonderful moment uh, because we were actually sitting in somebody else's living room uh, and hearing them speak about their identity. Um, so what we heard or what I heard among uh, lots of political things for sure, um, but what I heard from, from Palestinians during that trip was really we would just like to live our lives and do our work and raise our children and you know, and 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 feel safe and happy in life, uh, and and that's pretty much what we all want. Uh, so that is a fundamental point of agreement. Uh, and I think, given their druthers, uh, most of us on the planet, um, uh, let alone in in areas of conflict, um, would just like to do that. Uh, the, it's it's the most important thing is uh, um, is our lives and our happiness and our families uh, and and our communities and we'd like to just be left alone to do that um, uh, and uh, and be supported in doing that as well. Um, the last point that I really want to make is is trying to talk about um, when we're talking about solutions is uh, uh, you know one state two state solution and the 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 chant that we hear which is very triggering um for uh israelis and 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 many jews worldwide uh of uh you know from the river to the sea 
um, what, what's between the river and the sea, the river being the Jordan River, the sea being the Mediterranean, um, is the current state of Israel for the most part, um, including the, 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 the West Bank and including Gaza. Um, uh, so what is heard by Israelis and what's heard by Jews around the world um, of liberating between the, the, the river and the sea um, sounds like, um, if even if it's not intended like that, and in some cases it may be intended like that, um, that the state of Israel disappears uh, and uh, it becomes a Palestinian state and um, Jews can either stay or go or do whatever they want. Um, and the more recent history, and again, more recent, uh, I'm talking about you know the last uh, um, couple of centuries, the more recent history of, uh, of Jews living in, uh, uh, in, uh, in Muslim states uh, has not been a pleasant one. Um, and, you know, that's not something that, you know, that, that Jews and Israelis would look forward to. Um, uh, so it's a, it's a deep concern. Um, uh, one state solution uh, can work um, if it's a one state solution that's more like the United States, um, where you have individual states, they run their own business, um, uh, individual areas, but everybody is a citizen of the broader, uh, the, the, the broader Republic. Um, and, uh, um, th there's a, th there's written into a constitution, there's protection for minorities, whoever the minorities might happen to be. Um, a two state solution could work, uh, if, um, the, 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 the boundaries can be drawn in a way that's considered to be equitable, um, and agreeable. And also uh, in in a way that um, in in a way that's that's secure for all parties involved. Um, both of those are very very tall orders uh, and very difficult. Um, and the other consideration is the current state of Israel. Excuse me. Um, was established as a Jewish homeland. It's 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 a um, it's a safe haven for for Jews from around the world. Um, and if you uh, turn it into a secular democracy, um, uh, does it maintain that protection uh, for uh, for Jews who may be uh, under oppression elsewhere in the world? Um, so that's that, those are the challenges in in discussing it. Um, the current conflict is uh, is is something that uh, has its roots in all of that. Um, uh, it has its roots in those disagreements. It has its roots in those uh, conflicting narratives. Um, however, um, it, it also was immediately triggered by uh, 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 an inexcusable act of violence against civilians. Uh, the response from Israel is devastating. Um, the last thing that I saw from uh, reliable, more reliable sources is that perhaps half of the population of Gaza is is has been dislodged and, and does not have uh, safe and permanent shelter. Um, uh, that's you know there's arguments about the numbers of uh, civilian casualties in Gaza, but they are clearly in the thousands, um, and uh, that's horrific. Um, you know, the, the, the suffering is real. The humanitarian crisis is real. Um, the challenge we have there is um, how, it, how do you resolve that in a way that 
guarantees security and safety for citizens in Gaza and um, on the Israel side of the border. Um, you know, uh, Hamas has a very clear goal, um, which is um, the elimination of the state of Israel, um, and has said very clearly through its leadership that um, what happened on October 7th will continue to happen again and again uh, if they're given the opportunity. Um, Israel has a moral obligation and a legal obligation uh, as, uh, uh, um, as a sovereign state to protect its citizens and to remove the source of, uh, of uh, a, a threat to the safety and lives of their citizens. Um, how do you do that in a densely populated, predominantly urban area um, uh, without causing casualties? Um, uh, I wish there were a good answer to that. Um, so, you know, if, if, if we can step away, and, and I know it's very difficult, but if we can step away to the from the human cost for just a moment, because um, I don't want to stay away from the human cost for very long at all. Um, but if we step away for just a moment, um, here is a threat. I think we could agree that the, that removing that threat is important, uh, because that threat is not only endangering the lives of, of Israelis, uh, but also endangering the lives of, of Palestinians and and making their lives less than uh, less than they could be. Um, the, you know, this was a, a government that was voted in by the people, uh, the citizens of Gaza. Um, but there hasn't been a free election since, um, and it's been it's been years and years now. And there's no indication uh, of of, of that, that there's going to be one. Um, so there's autocratic rule there. Um, and those decisions on the, that impact the lives and health and safety of Palestinians are, are being made for them by a government that um, they haven't had a voice in for for years and years. Um, now, you know, that doesn't excuse loss of life, um, but it does frame how complex this is. It would be wonderful if there was an easy answer to this and to say these guys are the bad guys these guys are the good guys um uh you know the, the good guys have to beat the bad guys um or you know the world has to tell the bad guys to stop um and and let the good guys prevail um it's very very difficult uh, to to sort all that out in in such a complicated situation um so when we talk about the current war going on right now um uh in it's virtually impossible um in in my view um to 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 make it a a question of absolutes um israelis themselves we have to recall um were pouring into the streets in the tens of thousands to protest the current government prior to this uh prior to this event prior to the start of this war um, we've also gotten information very, very recently that um, there was, it wasn't an intelligence failure on Israel's part, October 7th, I'm referring to. Um, there was plenty of intelligence coming in. Uh, um, people were saying, look, stuff is going on here. They're, they're doing military exercises, uh, Hamas is. Um, and the intelligence that was available described a possibility very much like what happened on October 7th. Um, and it got ignored by higher ups in the channels. Um, so th there's a serious problem within the Israeli government itself. It's not representative of the people. Um, and it, it has behaved in a way that, that resulted in um, 
this this horrible conflagration. Um, we have to be able to willing to say the same thing about uh, uh, about the, the the Palestinian leadership as well. Um, uh, Hamas only got into power in Gaza because Fatah in uh, um, the Palestinian Authority, uh, which rules the West Bank um, or has authority in the West Bank, um, was considered too corrupt. Uh, and so given the, ch the choice of, of two evils, um, the, they chose the one that said, we can protect you uh, militarily. Um, uh, so making an absolute statement is... Uh, you know, I'm, it's not even about whether it's possible, because it's certainly possible. Uh, people are doing it all the time. Uh, but I think in reality, um, making an absolute statement um, is at the very least is misleading um, and uh, is probably better understood um, as being uh, clouding the issue completely. Um, the focus that we should have in, in in my view, um, is on the loss of life. And how do we prevent that? Um, and how do we stop it? Um, and, um, you know, it's been pointed out that, you know, that, that Israel has the, 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 the bigger guns and the larger military and has the jets and, um, and, and all the technology, um, and could, you know, could stop the airstrikes immediately. And that would stop the, that would stop the civilian casualties. It's absolutely true. Um, on the other hand, um, uh, Hamas could release the the rest of the hostages, and uh, and and say, you know, we're going to stop fighting, um, and we retract saying that we're going to keep doing October seventh until until you don't exist anymore, um, and you know we can sit down and talk. Uh, so belligerents in this case uh, are uh, are both able to take steps to reduce and and eventually and hopefully quickly stop the violence and stop the killing.